King of the Casters. I'm your host, N.B. Nightingale. And I'm your other host, Brandon. Uh, producer Jasper is asleep on the floor, which would be troubling if he were a human, but he is a dog. <laughs> he is a dog. Okay, uh, today we are discussing the classic King Kong. Uh, the oldest movie we've done on the podcast, correct, Brandon? By like 20 years. <laughs> because the oldest before this was the original, the original. Godzilla. Okay. Yeah, uh, and today uh, we've got a special guest, uh, my friend and classmate, Sophie. Hi, thanks you guys so much for having me. <laughs> thanks for being on. We usually start by talking about general feelings on the film, so Sophie, if you want to go first, or last, or which way do you want to go? Sure, uh, I can be in. Yeah, so um, uh, this is my second watch of the movie. Um, just watched it, so pretty fresh. Um, I didn't remember how um, racist this movie is. Uh, that was definitely something uh, that took me by surprise. Uh, don't know why it didn't stick in my head more the first time around. Um, I remembered the natives from the first watch, um, but the uh, the uh, Chinese cook on yeah, that was um, that was something that took me by surprise. Um, obvious thirties isms. Of the film aside, I thought the pacing was really spectacular. Um, I quite liked how we didn't see Kong until like 40 minutes into the movie. Um, and I really liked how much of the movie was just an extended action sequence on uh, the island. Um, pretty simple, straightforward. Uh, I can see why it holds up so much. So just to get you in the mind of how bad uh, old kaiju films are with race... <laughs> The fact that every single person of color was played by a person of color was a moment of relief for us. <laughs> yeah, after... The worst one was Mothra. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Mothra's actually interesting, in my opinion, because, so, on a purely on paper level, I think Mothra is a much less racist film than King Kong. It's very sympathetic to to natives and the idea of it, it's got the very simplistic moral of maybe genociding races is bad, but but it still falls against doing it. So that's something. But, yeah, but it's uh, the fact but, that but it's... every single one of this uh, this uh, island of black people is played by either one white guy or a Japanese cast all in blackface. So it's so. bad. And that was 30 years after this. Yeah. That it's insane really. But yeah. um yeah, so that stuff was not great. It was very not good, obviously. But I, I guess, you know, for us the bar is in hell. <laughs> yeah. In terms of that kind of thing. So um I I this is the first time I've seen it ever. Um funny <laughs> spoilers for King Kong. <laughs> Spoilers, folks. You gotta watch out for this. Um, I had a really enjoyable time with this. I was shocked at no one I was talking. We're talking about this as we we're watching it after um, when it started getting to the New York segment. That's like what fifteen minutes of the movie. It's yeah. like right at the end. I was like, oh my goodness. Like, we paused it because I had to walk the dog and just were surprised. Like we paused it during like the attack on the village. And saw there were 20 minutes left and were just confounded. It was like, oh my god. So, like, the pacing was really interesting. And I I think the visual effects are still, like, they've come back around to me. Like, in terms of when they first came out, magnificent, mind-blogging. How the, how, how the fuck did they do any of this? And then, you know, the 50s and 60s and 70s around that period was like, okay, you know, we can do these practical effects way better than we could back then. And now it's looped back around to where it's like, how the fuck did they do this in the 1930s? Six years before The Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I thought, yeah, the composite work was crazy. Great on this. Like, there were moments where, you know, you heard me like, how the fuck when, like, some of the transitions from Anne to being a uh, claymation to being the actress again. It was crazy. So I think I had a very enjoyable time with this. I think um, the effects are just 
crazy to see. Like, my God. Yeah. I also liked it. I cringed a lot at the uh, at the cook in particular. Yeah. Uh, who, like, the dude's got a California accent, but he's still talking in those lines that are written, like, in... Like, broken English. English. It's like, uh... You have a bunch of trivia about special effects and stuff. That I do. Because, my goodness. So this film came out in 1933. And we were making us a comparison about, um... That this was, like, during the Great Depression. And Noah brought up that... Well, I mean, the housing market crash was the year before Avatar came out. Yeah, that's, like, the most expensive movie of all time. Like, 2009. So, I mean, it's kind of crazy how um, these, like, things kind of coincide sometimes. Well, I think that's just a... I mean, the movie industry has never really been hurt by economic crashes in the U.S. Mm. And it's... Actually, it thrives during those times because they have the money to put this opulent shit on the screen and people get to see it for cheap compared to any other form of entertainment. Well, I think also, um, you know, the desires feed into one another. Um, When recessions like this happen, uh, people have a desire for escapism, uh, to go into worlds that are extravagant and lush. I think you can also see that with the kind of pop music that was really popular after the 2008 recession, Um, you know, Kesha, uh, Cobra Starship, uh, that kind of like very um, Skrillex-esque type music. Um, it's very party. It's very, let's live in the now. We're going to have a good time. It's almost apocalyptic in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point. I hadn't thought of the music before. That, yeah, happy music comes after really bad times. So, like, we're going to have some banging music in a couple years, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, special effects, though, for King Kong. So... There's a, so much, obviously. Uh, I could go on oh, for like... Oh, we forgot to introduce the segment. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is What That Monster Do. <laughs> this is the segment of What That Monster Do, where I talk about um, the monsters in this movie and like some descriptions about VFX and some fun like facts about it. So I was bringing and up to Nolan... I Nolan. chime in with jokes. Exactly, yeah. Yes. And our guests can do the same, yeah. Yay! So, um, so King Kong in this movie, I was bringing it up that King Kong doesn't really look like any like specific ape like he looks like um their inspirations were gorillas but the thing about gorillas that the filmmakers like were altered with his design is you know they're on all fours and they have that curved back i know the 2005 film goes just explicitly big gorilla though oh yeah he literally is just a big gorilla but in this one, I think there was interesting quotes about the filmmakers being like, oh, we want to, like, tone down his design because in real gorillas, their butts are just, like, out. Like, I'm Wait, serious. Is that really the reasoning? <laughs> like, that was the th- like, they wanted to tone that down. No, I looked that up, too. Uh, apparently, that, that caused some concern. Um, I guess beauty standards really do change over the years, don't they? Yeah, so they want they wanted so unfortunately they couldn't give Kong a dump truck and they had to give him a flat booty. Kong's trying to sneak up on Andero with the clap of his cheeks, yeah. giving him away. So that's why in the design of Kong he's very gorilla like, but he like his torso is like human like, like it's like a big slab, like it's not like a big curve like gorillas have. He's got that uh that small Hank Hill butt. <laughs> Yeah, he's got the Hank Hill body type. You may not like it, but this is what peak gorilla looks like. <laughs> so, yeah, that was Kong's design. This movie is very interesting um, because they were using so many like super revolutionary effects at this time to like show Kong's design. When I was looking it up, there's um, there's multiple different models that are used in this movie for Kong, like depending on what's going on. Like they basically gave. Um, there was like one model that was uh, like a smaller one, about 18 inches. And this one had, you know, like it's wire mesh, clay, and then rabbit fur. <laughs> like his fur is rabbit. <laughs> and then in the other shot, and there's other parts of the movie where um, we'll get into that. Uh, Kong just straight up kills people. Yeah. A lot more than I thought. <laughs> um, and in the shots where it's just the big Kong head. 
and he's just like gnawing on someone or like the you know it's the close of just the kong head it was like seven feet tall it was like uh glass eyes and everything and it was bare skin <laughs> that they used for him so i was like oh my goodness like they had to use like like they used real fur on this guy and apparently um one of the old armatures for king kong from this movie um peter jackson owns it and it sold for like hundreds of thousands of dollars do you think he talks to it at night? <laughs> he sleeps with it. It's, it's like um, it's like those videos of the you know when you're a little kid they give you a, like a, a special doll and you just like bring it everywhere and just destroy it. Oh no, even better, he has the big Kong head. He brings around the seven foot tall Kong head everywhere. But, He's got um, it uh, registered as an emotional support animal. He does. He has like wheels on it. He just pushes it in. He yeah, takes it on see, airplanes. That's why the Hobbit movies didn't turn out so good. Because, like, every meeting was, like, on the fifth floor. No <laughs> elevator. And he had to just, like, up all those. <laughs> and, like, by the time he was done, the meeting was, like, over. Like, he couldn't get in there for, to, to tell him to not make it a trilogy. Are the Hobbit films the only thing Peter Jackson's done post-Kong? He did, um, he did that World War One documentary. Oh, wait, yeah, no, The Lovely and Bones. Get back. And, and, and Get, get back. back. That was recent. Yeah. And the lovely bones, which I've complained to you about the lovely bones before, Brandon. <laughs> Peter Jackson is interesting because it kind of, I don't think, you know, he's a pretty good filmmaker, but I feel like for me, at least the Lord of the Ring trilogy was like, bing, like his big feather in his hat. And since then, he's just kind of done what he wanted, which is kind of the dream. Like if he made a perfect thing, you'd be like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. It's his blank check. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, interestingly enough, so back to like the VFX for Kong though, if you're, when you're watching the movie, you notice that Kong's fur is just like moving as he walks. And the reasoning for that was, um, cause he was made out of real fur. The big problem they had was that when the animators, cause it's a, uh, it's stop motion animation. When they were like posing Kong between the poses, you know, they'd have to put their fingers on him and like move him around. So you can, and they tried to like pat him down. <laughs> But the fur is moving because that's where their fingers were. <laughs> so the, in the movie, you see like his finger, uh, his fur is like shaking a little bit. And that's because they had to, that was a limitation they had to deal with as they were moving him around. Because the, here, oh, here's one that's so good. That's so good. That's such a good fact. So the trees and like plants in the background for the animation, the stop motion. So there were a combination of metal models, like, you know, like metal pieces and real plants. Oh. So get this. I really wish this, sh uh, this shot still existed somewhere. So one day during filming, uh, one of the plants, the real plants that was on the miniature set, started blooming. And nobody noticed throughout the whole day. So they did a whole scene of Kong moving around. And you could uh, in the background, you could see the flower coming into full bloom. <laughs> did that make it to the cut or did that have to get scrapped? An entire day. Yeah, they had to cut it afterwards. I want to see that, though. That'd be so cool. So it's that's probably kind of lost to time. It's made out of celluloid. It probably burned down yeah, it's in the burned. 50s. There's, um, yeah, it's really weird for movies about this time period, about um, like lost media of stuff associated with them. Like, Did you ever hear about, um, I think it was called the, the Lost Spider Pit scene? No. What's that? So... This is debatable about whether it even existed or not. Some people say it did. Some people say it didn't. So in the movie, uh, it's the scene where King Kong is having the branch. And there's all this, the people holding on. And he's like shaking them off. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, Peter Jackson put this in his King Kong, right? Exactly. Yes. So he added this back in um, based off of what people said the scene was. in the Because um, he actually, get this. So I'll start with the original scene. The, so the original scene was supposed to be. What apparently with the deleted scene, the lost media part, was after King Kong shakes the people off the, the big old tree and they fall to like the in the ground. Like they fall like on the on like the cavern. Um spiders and other creatures apparently rose out of the ground and ate them. Like like not like creepypasta, oh there was blood coming out of their eyes, <laughs> but more like they were attacking them and then they you know, they you, you just see they're dead. Like, you know, nineteen thirty stuff. But um Apparently, after Peter Jackson heard about this, he added it back into the 1933 King Kong adaptation, like movie. 
Like, he filmed an original scene that he added into, uh, it's like the DVD cut of the King Kong 1933 movie. That's not a, I always thought that was a theatrical scene. Like... I mean, I've never seen the movie. I have seen that scene a couple of times, though, because hmm. I think it's funny when Andy Serkis' well, head gets bitten off. Well, no, what I mean, no, 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 is, is that Peter Jackson went back, filmed the scene to look like it was from the 1933 King Kong, and added it into the original movie. What? Yeah. That's some it, George Lucas revisionist history. <laughs> it's a good scene, though. <laughs> like, it, it holds up, like... They used, let's look, they used stop motion and everything. Like, you can't even really tell. Like, they did a really good job with it. But um, he added it back in because apparently it was lost. Like, there was, like, differing reports about why. It was like, oh, maybe the producer. Like, they did a screening of it and people laughed because the bug monster looked silly. So they cut it. Or maybe it was too scary. But, like. I'm not sure how I feel about that. What, that a, that a filmmaker that, who was... That Peter Jackson added it back into the original Kong. It's, it's not in the one we saw. It's, it was in, like, yeah. some... I think it might have been a bonus feature or something. Huh. But, like, it's it, he added it into the movie. I don't know. That's an interesting ethical thing, I guess. Like, but... 72 years later? But that's the crazy thing. King Kong in 11 years from now, just over a decade, is going to be 100 years old. That is... Crazy. Oh yeah, apparently uh, King Kong basically saved RKO Pictures from bankruptcy. Like it's like often credited like oh, this movie saved this company. And uh, King Kong's roar was a lion's roar and a tiger's roar combined, slowed down and then played backwards. Oh my. It, it's a pretty spooky roar, but Godzilla's the original one's still worse. Like... Like that one's like like a like an oil soaked glove on like a violin. Okay, King Kong thing I just thought of. Yeah. So, uh, for the audience's sake, uh, Brandon and I always record two episodes a day when we meet up. Uh, and our other one was uh, Invasion of the Astro Monsters coming out next week. Uh, and both of those movies have the distinguished honor. Of being name dropped in double features or science fiction double feature from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Oh yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, they mentioned Planet X in the song, and you know, and then something went wrong for Fay Ray and King Kong. And King Kong, weren't you in a production of Rocky Horror Picture Show? I was freshman year. I put on the stockings and everything. Oh shit! Your dad got so mad when the photos went to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, who did you play, Brandon? Um, I was Brad. <laughs> oh my god, I see it. I was Brad, and um, yeah, my mom was like, your dad was really upset about the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> god, I remember just, you don't know this, but... Yeah. Griffin made a group chat. The our friend Griffin from high school made a group chat the day those pictures dropped, <laughs> in which we discussed them. <laughs> the was, discourse. I was like, "Huh, Brandon's acting." <laughs> well, your sure. dad should take a look at you now, hosting a King Kong podcast. That's a, <laughs> you've come a long way, baby. <laughs> the bar is in hell. <laughs> Okay, um, so there's, um, oh my goodness. So apparently, uh, for the scenes of Anne, who's in Kong's hand, because, you know, um, as we brought up before, the special effects are just so, like, the compositing's so good. Because there's a real King Kong hand holding, like, the actress, as, like, the stop-motion, like, puppet is, like, in front of them. So apparently, the scenes of Anne within Kong's hand, like, the hand was attached to a crane, and it was raised 10 feet in the air. And the thing is, is that uh, they basically technically put her in the hand, and they like, close the fingers around her to like try to hold her in. And that was the only thing holding her there? Oh, yeah. 30s OSHA. Yeah. They and... really, uh, uh, they were then, really sleeping on the wheel there. Yeah, and the hand was lifted up in the 10-foot crane. And then she would later say to the actress that, like, her terror in those scenes were real because the more she struggled, because the you know the director was like you know oh you gotta struggle and stuff. The more she struggled, the fingers started loosening. 
You guys ever heard of that, uh, when we're talking about movie danger, uh, that old Cecil B. DeMille Noah's Ark that, like, killed, like, seven people during the flood scene? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Let me guess, 1930s or 20s? I I mean, Cecil, I don't know the exact date, but Cecil B. DeMille was, like, making films for decades. Okay. Seven people? Is it in the film? think a take of one of them being not dying but like being washed away is that that's a crazy thing i wouldn't be surprised there's some unsafe stuff in this movie for these actors <laughs> like with the giant foot like crushing some of the some of like the tribesmen like multiple times yeah like my goodness i mean i'd want it's to be a little meta in that way it's a little. If mad. I were if I were cast in a King Kong movie, I want to be the crushed by a foot guy. It'd be fun. I mean, assuming that person lived, it'd be very fun. <laughs> assuming they we live. Oh it's, my goodness! It's like how. Well, no, this is a bad. Ex- I was gonna say it's like how it'd be fun to be the the girl from the opening scene of Jaws getting like whipped around, but like she broke every bone in her body. I think. <laughs> what? Oh, the op- you know the the girl gets killed in the opening scene of Jaws. Yeah, yeah. That like cracked all of her ribs. The rig they had her hooked up to. Man. Yeah. Maybe being in a Not movie cool would Steven suck. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's good I can't act. Yeah, you're you're safe. <laughs> Thanks, Dad, for uh, for letting me know I can't act. <laughs> I mean, better better than that, that than the two kids that were killed in that, uh, what was it, John Landis oh, movie? Oh, Twilight Zone! Oh, yes. yeah. The helicopter, right? Yeah. God. And, and now his son is writing terrible screenplays on Twitter. I Are the two linked? I think so. I can never watch that best God. of the worst ever Max again. Landis just... Uh, I used to watch his YouTube page so much. Oh, no. <laughs> What's... Um, this explains a lot about you. I I need to learn screenwriting from somewhere. Oh no! <laughs> I thought I was going to be a screenwriter. They were all bad scripts. <laughs> but like, you can draw a straight line well, from Max Landis's YouTube page to me being at Emerson. Oh no! <laughs> it's all connected. So, <laughs> so interesting enough. Um. Okay, so what happened was, like, some background about this movie about the Kong, about, like, the, the effects of it. So the production team, like, the animators and effects artists were working on a movie called Creation, which sounded like a traditional, like, oh, they're going to go to an island and there's dinosaurs on it, right? And once they kind of, like, they had that team at Archeo Pictures, like, they had this team working on stuff. And then when the, devel- when the director and some people who were going to make Kong came in, they canceled creation because it was looking good and just put that team on the Kong effects. So the interesting things for this is that they like, um, so do you know, um, are you too familiar with like how harsh studio lights were like back in the old days of Hollywood? Oh yeah. Yeah. They were, uh, they, they, I, I read that they melted some of the Kong costume. Yeah. That's the thing. I was going to bring that up is that, um, <laughs> the lights were so harsh is that, um, in the latex skin is that John Kurosawa, one of the effects guys used carved wooden duplicates for like staging because it's like, we need the, we like, we need to have these guys in the spotlight as little as possible or they'll melt. <laughs> so all this is happening. So he had carved wooden models of like, and the other human characters, all these people. And that uh, during filming, the the Kong armature you were just talking about, the rubber skin dried out, like, so quickly. And then it it was necessary. They had to replace it often and just completely rebuild his face. Because the light... Because if I'm right, old cameras were really bad at, like, capturing light. So you just had to give so much to it. For the audio audience, Brandon just uh, punched his palm like seven times. <laughs> that will not get across in a podcast, so ASMR. this is your audio description. <laughs> ASMR. There you go. Okay. So, oh yeah, so the effects artist was Willis O'Brien and his assistant animator, Buzz Gibson. So, like, you know, stop motion is very painful. It takes a long time. Uh, interesting enough, when we talked about the Godzilla, the first one, 
they were originally thinking about making Godzilla stop motion, but after the like animators were in short supply and it would have taken years to do that. So it's the game of the summation. So they just put Nakajima in a suit and then spent decades setting him on fire on accident. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or dropping him into lakes from high surfaces. God. That poor guy. Wow, it really does suck to be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Especially back in the day, I guess. Oh my god. So um <laughs> God, so get this. So the uh you know the Kong and the T-Rex fight that happens like halfway in the movie? Yeah. Uh, it took seven weeks to animate that. Oh wow! It's one of the best. It's one of the best animations of the movie, but that's so long, especially under the fact that like they had to like repair and replace parts of the models as they were going through because of how harsh the lights were. Okay. But uh, there's also something. Um, I guess the last thing I'll talk about specifically for effects is um compositing in this movie, right? Yes, the compositing's. The compositing on that friggin' shot of the Stegosaurus charging at them is so great. It's very good stuff. So one of the interesting things, they have different methods for uh, doing that. One of them was uh, basically just burning away parts of the footage. Do you know, um, you know, like uh, when you're developing old camera f- or footage, you know, you have to develop it. And if it gets to light, it's just going to vaporize and disappear. Like, like, you know, um, you take a picture of an old camera and it's a negative and you have to like use it, you know, you have to convert it to an actual image. Yeah. So that's why there's dark rooms is because actual light will uh, cause your negative to just turn to white and see through again. So it, for this movie, for some of the uh, compositing, they purposely did that for part of the shots. So like if they had a square or a rectangle and they were like, okay, Kong's going to be in this top third here. They would purposely expose a third of the image, the image to it. How do you realize that's how compositing worked? That's that's what they did for some of it. Okay. Is they had to like layer it on top, but they were some of the first examples of um, like actually using the Williams process and the Dunning process, which is like using different kinds of light to combine it together, along with um, I think it was like the first film to use. Uh, like advanced compositing techniques where they could layer things on top of each other. And it shows, uh, I guess the most complex shot in the whole movie was when uh, Kong is fighting the snake monster. Wow. That, that, that was like not one of the ones that really impressed me. So well, yeah. Cause, cause you, you see, um, you see the, the guy on the right, the girl on the oh. left, Kong and the guy okay, in the middle and the background behind him. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, that is crazy stuff. So there's so much effect stuff to go into this movie because I wonder, I guess the closest we have in our generation is Avatar to like that kind of movie where it's like the effects are Oh, is it time to sing the praises of Avatar? (laughs) Have I been called upon finally? Sophie, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, Sophie has no, been subjected subject- to my yeah. love of Avatar before. Okay. Already, I have sat through a recent watch of the movie Avatar. It mostly holds up. Yeah, okay. it's it's so good. Avatar 2, coming this year, baby! Woo! It is actually, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Because um, So King Kong the was kind of The second those... tickets drop, Brandon. The second. I'm buying them. <laughs> And you're coming with me. You're forced to come with me. <laughs> Even if I'm only James Cameron really could get away with dropping a sequel 13 years after the first movie and still have people want to watch it. This I... is Dumb and Dumber 2 Erasure. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I I think for me it's mostly just just morbid curiosity. It's like if it's a sequel after this long, like what are you doing? What are you doing with it? What if James Cameron just got based in the last 13 years? <laughs> like he had like it was like neolib shit in the original Avatar, but what if it's like I don't know? What if it's like Marxist? <laughs> oh no! What if the most famously in love with his own money man in the world <laughs> just suddenly became a Marxist in the last thirteen years? We have nothing to lose but our hair braids. <laughs> <laughs> they say rebelling against it. Oh my god. Um. Okay, so is that all the effect stuff? That's all stuff I want to... I, I could keep going, but I think that's that's the good stuff. It's been a long effects segment. 
I know. That's why I'm like, yeah. I think now is a good spot to keep to move on to other things. Okay, so we'll go on our commercial break, and then we'll come back and discuss the story itself. If you've been looking high and low for a big car as good as a Volkswagen, maybe you should look into our big car. The Volkswagen 411. It has some things no Volkswagen ever had, like four big doors and lots of room and luxury for the whole family. It has some advanced things most cars don't have, like electronic fuel injection, an automatic preheating system, and a big trunk up front. But you don't have to be a genius to drive the 411 because it comes with an automatic transmission, also a standard equipment. So now, there's a Volkswagen big enough for just about everyone. The Volkswagen 411 four-door sedan. I'm trying to remember what movie we were watching when the Capitol riots happened. We were trying to watch The Vast of Night, a movie we still have not seen. Even though we loved the 15 minutes we saw of it before the Capitol riots started. The Vast of Night. Wasn't that the, the alien one? Yeah, it's like the the low key alien one. Okay. Yeah. That like. Gotta be careful, Roland. Could you imagine? Oh, let's go over, and it's the the day we're watching it. Ukraine has been. It's just every bad thing is every chunk of the movie. Every single time we try and watch the Vast of Night, that just life changing horrible news hits. Yeah, every time, every time. Uh, You missed it. We were just discussing how. There's this movie we wanted to see for, like, months. And the second we sat down for it was the day that the Capitol riots happened, so we turned it off, like, 15 Uh minutes in. (laughs) Jesus. I remember we were just watching it, and, like, Nolan, you were just checking your Twitter a whole lot, and I was like, huh, there's something funny going on at the Capitol. (laughs) Real screwy stuff happening. You're like, huh. What is this movie? Uh, So The Vast of Night, it's like this sci-fi indie film where, like, it's like alien invasion movie, but you don't see the aliens. It's like all from the point of view of like this uh, small town. Like they're, everyone's like at the Friday night basketball game at the high school and it's coming in on the news, all the uh, information. Yeah, it takes place in the 50s too, I yeah, think. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of like uh, the monsters are due on Maple Street, but as a feature yes. length. Yes. Mm. I was going to say, that sounds a lot like a Twilight Zone episode. All right, so uh, in three, four, two, one. All right, and we're back. And so usually we just do a a play-by-play of the plot and discuss it from there, but... We don't want to give spoilers. But (laughs) it's just such a simple story (laughs) that everyone knows that, like, you know... Well... Film crew goes uh, to an island, has trouble with a monkey, brings the monkey back, monkey dies... I like when the big ape's on screen. That's my favorite part. <laughs> Me too. I like how they foreshadowed it with the little ape on the... Uh, on the, uh, <laughs> on the <laughs> like, I want that to be every movie. Like, the first thing you see is a little one, and then a bigger one shows up later. <laughs> it's like, ooh, fancy. But, um, funny we start you know, with a little movie... short, and then Steve Carell <laughs> finds the big short. Big short. So... <laughs> I, I have to bring this up. Uh, give give check off his flowers. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Yes. So okay. yeah. So uh, so I had I want to thematically kind of talk about the difference between all these Japanese monster movies we've watched. Yes. And how American monster movies function. Yes. I, I have one second different. first about spoiler things, which is really funny because I'm bringing it up as a joke. I didn't know the ending of this movie. You didn't know King Kong dies. Okay. Okay. Hear, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. <laughs> <laughs> I know I knew that he died. I didn't know that in his final moments he was like like making sure like the girl was okay before he died. I did not know that. And then when Nola brought that up, I was like, what? <laughs> and I felt like like the one guy who doesn't know about like the Darth Vader Luke thing. Like like the what like what? What that? Some guy sitting in a church, they mentioned Jesus died. What the fuck? I was only halfway through the book. God. <laughs> I just got to Leviticus 2. God damn it. Okay. What's the point to keep going? What's the point? It's not like he comes back later. 
So, yeah, so what I find interesting, and what I've always loved about American uh, monster films is that they're very, the monsters kind of historically been cast and coded as a minority. For example, my favorite monster movie, Frankenstein, mm-hmm. is very informed by the fact that uh, the director, Frank Whale, was a closet. James Whale. James Whale. Yeah, uh, was a closeted gay man. And so I don't, th- I wouldn't go so far as to say that Frankenstein is a gay coded character, but most academics and uh, agree, and I agree that the sympathy for the monster comes from Whale's own feeling of himself as a monster because of being a marginalized person. Mm-hmm. Ah, so Bride of Frankenstein is his beard. Wow. Oh, wow. So what you're saying, so, Noel, I don't, I don't think much about themes because, you know, that's for eighth grade book reports. But um, what I'm getting <laughs> out of this so far is that the director secretly just wanted to be a cool old, like, monkey man running in the woods. No, so, I, I, obviously, <laughs> King Kong has a lot to say about colonization. It's very outdated messaging on colonization, but I do think it's against it, but tepidly. Uh, I don't know. Sophie, you're smart. Tell me if I'm being dumb or not. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I think it's definitely commenting on the nature of colonization, um, but probably not with the kind of uh, wokeness yeah, um, that would but be I think pleasing to there's us. There's definitely intentional stuff in there, like, King Kong being splayed out on the stage in the same way that Anne is when she's being sacrificed to Kong. Uh, yeah, that's got to be atten- that's intentional. Yeah, and then stuff like repeating the shots of King Kong uh, mowing down on the natives with a uh, with the white New York for Western people, well dressed people uh, mm. in the New York sequence. Like, they just replicate the same exact shots, but with white guys instead of black guys. With Whether you're black or white, Kong will still eat you. That's the theme. Oh, that's what that Michael Jackson song's about, right? <laughs> Doesn't matter if you're black or white. You both yeah, I wonder delicious. if this film is, it, is looking at colonization not through a lens of uh, the way we would today, which is it's inherently wrong because it's jeopardizing the humanity of these people, but more like you shouldn't interfere um, because they they can't handle it. They can't handle our civilized trappings. Yeah, quote, that's quote. that's probably more accurate to the uh, not obviously not great. It, I don't want to keep saying not great politics as if oh no, there was a chance that we would have found like a perfect <laughs> intersectional film from the nineteen thirties. <laughs> Quite praxis. Hey, I mean, there's Kong. actually. Honestly, there are some films that are pretty subversive in pre-code Hollywood um, before uh, that bastard Hayes came in and started imposing um, homophobia in the uh, film industry. It's not this movie, um, but there's some digging. Oh, yeah, you said stuff about, about the, the Hayes Code, code right? Bro? Yeah, because I don't know too much about the Hayes Code. I'm guessing you and Sophie know a lot more. I'd like to hear from that. Um, I just know that from what I was reading, this was, yeah, this was pre-Hayes Code. This was like a year before or something. Oh, like, it was right before the Hayes Code. So, like, they got away with a lot of death in this. So I think, um, I'm guessing that the Hayes Code was also for violence, too, wasn't it? It was just anything that could, would have been seen as immoral for, uh, people to be viewing, uh, by the, uh, cis, straight, white, uh, audience. Christian audience. Yeah, Christian audience as well. Uh, like, but yeah, I... I don't know, I've never actually, like, read the actual code, so I don't know what the explicit rules are. So I don't know if they have a rule against violence. I know violence was, it has always been, like, a shocking thing in movies. Like, you look at something like uh, Bonnie and Clyde, and Sophie, I don't know if you've seen Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, yes, but, love that yeah, movie. but, like, famously for the time, shockingly violent, when it comes to crime films, seems kind of quaint. By modern standards. I feel like that's just with most types of, like, film. Yeah, definitely. Where it's like... You push the envelope and you keep pushing it. Yeah. 
until it's like, whoa. Like, like if you showed, like, the director of King Kong, like, probably one scene from Euphoria, their, their head will explode. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> so that's the thing. But yeah, so, um, yeah, the Hayes Code was... It was interesting this came out pre-Hayes Code with things. And I think it's... I, I want to... I think... Sophie, you bring up a really interesting point about, like, the perspective of, like, relative progressivism for the 1930s, where it's like, oh, um, you know, he's got the wrong reasons, but I guess he's going towards the right thing. And just, like, the uh, tepid, like, maybe you shouldn't just hate women for no reason. Not, like... It's not exactly Gloria Steinem. (laughs) King Kong threw the first brick at Stonewall. (laughs) He did. It was a very big brick and Stonewall was nearly crushed. (laughs) He was an important figure in this. But, um, oh my goodness. So, yeah, it was interesting. I I read up, um, I read from the, like, I think it was the director, like the creator of the film that, their biggest thing they thought about was like the the contrast between like a you know like an ancient prehistoric creature in modern day like that clash and then being defeated by the most modern of weapons you know that is a tried and true theme that would finally culminate in perfection in the Pauly Shore classic Encino Man <laughs> exactly <laughs> Do you know? The peak of cinema. We've been downhill since then. Yeah, cinema strength. Brendan Fraser at his <laughs> most himbo. <laughs> we used to be a society. <laughs> we used to be a proper society. When we could Boomer just our Joker be like, we used to be a society. <laughs> a proper society. It wasn't uh, a picture of like 7-Eleven in the 70s. It was. Like <laughs> The only difference was like, I guess 7-Elevens used to paint their walls different colors. <laughs> Remember when 7-Eleven had a different font? That was really cool. <laughs> what an interesting... People used to wear ringer tees. What a, what a hill to die on. <laughs> oh, I was going to compare the American to Japanese film. Yes, sorry. We so, got sidetracked. But but yeah, so the point... Yeah. So the monster is usually... Far more a point of sympathy in U.S. Uh, monster films, mm-hmm. and like they are an ostracized creature that usually the death is filled with pathos at the end. Like King Kong trying to pet Andero as he's shot and he knows he's dying, or oh god, Frankenstein just screaming his high pitched scream as he burns to death in the house, yeah. and. But, like, in, in Japanese films, it's, they're usually, they seem to be reckonings for, for, uh, injust, societal injustices. Like, Godzilla isn't, like, Godzilla isn't a representation of the people of Hiroshima, but Godzilla is, oh, we did that to the people of Hiroshima, now a big monster's gonna kill us. Yeah, it's more, like representations of those i guess there are some there are a couple times where it seems like more sympathetic like um watch our you know listen to our rodan episode rodan's death is i think one of the closest to the pathos in terms of what you're talking about more western kaijus or western monsters sorry (laughs) but closer to that where it's like I, i guess you don't feel bad for rodan until he burns alive trying to save his brother but um before that, not really. Okay. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe I maybe I just have bad takes. I often do. <laughs> well, I, I think it's overall correct. I think that just, like, you know, like one exception doesn't make the rule invalid. Then they make the monsters uh, have pathos by just making them kill bigger, scarier <laughs> monsters. Exactly. <laughs> That's what we like to see. Which um, I believe is actually what happened when... Uh, Frankenstein attacks Abbott and Costello. But. <laughs> <laughs> Me never care for their comedic stylings. <laughs> what do you, what do you put that's scarier than Frankenstein? 
two white guys trying to do bits. <laughs> I think that's just known as a podcast. Oh no, Nolan. Frankenstein's coming for us. <laughs> oh, another cultural media podcast touching two white men. How original. <laughs> Frankenstein do like sheets <laughs> from Boland Branch, though. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Sophie, thematically, is there stuff you want to talk about? Um. Yeah, I mean, uh, I definitely think in light of our discussion about the Hayes Code, uh, the relationship between Anne and... King Kong and how that compares to her relationship with Jack Driscoll definitely merits some conversation. Um, thinking about the fact that it's pre-code, um, one of the defining features of the Hayes Code was that it had anti-miscegenation yeah. rules. So basically two people of different races were not allowed to be romantically linked on screen. Oh, um, and I definitely wonder what kind of impact that would have had on a post-code King Kong because the... Uh, the overtures between the two are, are romantic. I mean, it's not it's not woke, um, but certainly like there's there's a sort of sexual chemistry. I mean, between is the two there of them. a chemistry? It felt it felt very one sided to me. Like Anne does not seem like sexually interested in King. I know I know that remakes often play with that, but like I mean, Kong definitely seems like he's into Anne. Right, I shouldn't say chemistry so much as just like strong sexual undertone, and I mean, I guess that has to that has to do with the whole colonization fear of like they're going to take our white women, especially that line um, with the chief saying that six of their women are worth one of Anne. Yeah, yeah. that's um, that's a lot to unpack. It, it reminds me a lot of um. Did you ever um have either ever seen that World War One? I? I think it was a German. Uh, propaganda poster, or no? I think it may have been the Allies. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I've I've, I've seen. Yeah, the gr- um, like the big yeah, gorilla the... with like the German hat on, and it's like yep. he, she's coming for your women or something. Like, have you seen that one? I have not seen that one. Okay, I can try. Um... Yeah, it's uh, it's not subtle. No, 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 no. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that was... Wait, was that... Wait, so you said World War One. World War One. So that was... So this is before yeah. King Kong. This is before King Kong. But, like, I think the thing of depicting yeah. people of color as, like, brutes, yeah. gorilla things are, like... That's a thing that's been around for a while before this. Which is really fucked up. Because that, that's... I mean, yeah. I was doing some... Yeah, sorry. I was doing some research on uh, this movie, um, and a big influence for the film um, was a um, like a faux documentary from 1930. Um, what was it called? Um, uh, I think it was called like Hinty or something. Oh my god, I um, saw that one. Which, yeah, yeah, yeah where uh, there was um, the the focus was between black women having affairs with. Uh, monkeys essentially and having like ape children um it wasn't an official inspiration um but it's understood uh that there was definitely some of king kong drawn from that movie yeah it was really fucked it was like it was like a mockumentary i think it was considered a mockumentary and it the the, the fucked up part was well, I, I wouldn't say mockumentary. Would never. <laughs> yeah. that, that's what the, the Wikipedia. It's called like that. a it's a fake it's it's a fake Fecu- documentary. Sorry, fake documentary is different. Yeah, it was a fake documentary about that. It was like, re- oh, they had like, like ape children hybrid. It's like, it's so fucking like dehumanizing. And apparently the 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 fucked up part is it did like financially very well. Or something like I, I I was hearing I read like oh in in Gagi in Gagi yeah like apparent I think it's lost media or like I think so they have like a negative somewhere but that's it okay so like I always hear stuff like this about old quote unquote documentaries and like when did people have to it start becoming lost. ethical with documentaries oh it's not oh like, goodness like you know you've got no uh, 
you know, like Nanook of the North, famously a documentary right. that was completely fictional. Uh, the the Lemmings one, the the one. Oh yeah, yeah where mm-hmm. we get the uh, the idea that Lemmings uh, do the uh, suicide thing when it was just some assholes pushing rats off of a cliff. Oh goodness. Oh, God, it was the highest grossing film in 1930. What? Oh, boy. Yeah. That's what it... Let's see. Okay, what else came out in 1930? I need to know what this beat now. I feel like All Quiet on the Western Front came out in 1930. God. Let's see. Yep, that was also 1930. So one of the most influential war films of all time... And a, a fake documentary beat it? Like, Well, I mean, I guess it shows that uh, cinema watching habits have not changed in nearly 100 years of Hollywood. I mean, so that's reassuring, yeah, I, I guess. I think, like, a war film, I think, would be, like, a crowd pleaser. Like, could you imagine if, like, the year Exit Through the Gift Shop came out? It beat Spider-Man 3 at the box office. <laughs> yeah, well, All Quiet on the Winter Western Front is kind of a bummer of a film, too. It's an anti-war movie. Oh, yeah, that was 1930, so that was, like, people are... I guess it wasn't quite up to the lead-up to World War II yet, but it was getting there. Oh, yeah, you're, yeah, you're right, Sophie. So it wasn't lost, it was just they, they didn't make it available, but I guess a Blu-ray came out with it last year. Who was asking for that Blu-ray? He, oh, God. <laughs> oh, okay. Who uh, at the Blu-ray factory was like, with some- guys, I've been trying for years to get Ngagi through. Can we please do this? <laughs> Kino Classics released a 4K restoration of the film. 4K? 4K. Dolby surround sound Ngagi. <laughs> there it is. Ngagi Blu-ray right there. New 4K. Band, ooh, the greatest movie hoax. Uh, that's how much would it set me back if I were gonna buy a Blu-ray of Ingagi? Ingagi? Um, let me look it up. Ingagi Blu-ray, Forbidden Fruit, the Golden Age of the Exploitation Picture, sixteen forty. Wow. Wow, what a time that is. God, that's. Jesus. Jesus. But yeah, I get it did financially very well, which is really that's three years before Kong. That that's the crazy thing to me is Kong was 1933. So all of the like like colonialism was still happening during this movie. Like, you know, the the British, you know, countries they were occupying, they they didn't most of them didn't break away until after World War II. I mean arguably colonialism is still going on today. I, I Inarguably, I actually. I'll I, say inarguably. Yes, and no, it is, but I'm saying, like, explicitly, like, Britain still owns, like, 30 countries or something. Like, on the books and stuff. So it's just crazy. It's like that time period. It's like, oh my god. But. Yeah, it's god, old, yeah. old film. Old film, man. It, uh, Sophie knows this. I don't know if I've ever discussed with you that I really love Buster Keaton movies. And, like,. Hmm. I've been watching a lot more lately, uh, and God, I found like one that was uh, like. Are you talking about uh, the general? The general is not the most racist Buster Keaton movie. That one, like, wow. lost causer propaganda is bad. Don't get me wrong, but Seven Chances is so racist. It's like a film where Buster Keaton is. So he finds out that if he marries a woman by seven o'clock that day, he'll get seven million dollars. Okay. Uh, and so he's going around trying to get a woman to marry him. And there's a sequence where like he starts flirting with a woman on a park bench, and like it's going well. Then she lifts her newspaper, and he sees it's all in Yiddish, and he gets up and runs away. So that's bad. Ugh. Then as he's running away, he sees like. A woman with like a nice caboose and he runs after her and when he catches up he sees that she's black and he runs away again and this 
Buster! Buster, no! <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. That's all stop motion. Or... No, it's not stop motion. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's how he got away with all those stunts. They were fake. They were, they were stop motion. Could you imagine the mo- a more unnecessary format, the worst format, a Buster Keaton movie that's animated? <laughs> Oh my god, that is but yeah. Oh, so slimy. I guess moral of the story is that Hollywood, pretty racist. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the last fifteen minutes of this movie is the um, is neat like New York, and what I was really interesting is that I King Kong kills so many people in this movie. He does, and I still sympathize for him. I feel like the. The the East Coast elites of New York City had it coming. <laughs> you get to see licorice pizza a month before I do. You get to be killed by the monkey. <laughs> that one guy, I looked at, I checked the inflation calculator. He was like, I spent 20 bucks on these tickets. That's over $400. <laughs> That's Hamilton money. It's, it's based, exactly. Mm, Hamilton, big monkey. <laughs> Just... <laughs> Imagine one of those guys just like everyone else is out there and he's just like, at this price, I'm staying. I'm seeing what's going on. I'm staying to the end of the show. Okay. Honestly, if they could afford to see this big monkey, like probably they did cause the bank failure. So I can't feel too bad for these guys. Fair. I do. So one thing I've always wondered with King Kong is like, what's the show supposed to be? What's the show? Do they just stare at the monkey for three hours? Yes. It's borderline experimental. You come in and they say, the eighth one of the world, King Kong. It's some real Worcester Theater Company shit. He's strapped to the wall. It's kind of like an old Andy Warhol movie. You're just filming the monkey for like 12 hours. That's it. Jay and I saw the the Andy Warhol eye cut movie the other night. Uh, The Andalusian Dog. Oh, goodness. Oh, yeah, the, the Bunuel yeah. one. Yeah. Well, that, that'd be the show, is you just see the big monkey, and then after, like, two, well, the experiment, it's a social experiment. Like, it's how long, like, you pay 200, you, you paid $400 for this, how long are you going to be there and watch the monkey? See, the possibility I thought of was, like, maybe it's, like, a Rockettes thing. Maybe, like, the second they cleared the stage... A line of women doing like kicks were gonna come out, and that's what the show is. <laughs> and it's just the yeah. monkey behind. I, Are you saying the the eighth King Kong? It's just a set. Piece. It's a set dressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, what else could it be? I mean, like, maybe Kong. it's like I like more seriously. It's probably like um, the sort of human zoos that people used to put on in the late 19th and early 20th century. Um, You saw a lot of that at uh, the 1893 Chicago World's Fair. People, like pygmies from Africa, just put in cages. It's just like, look at them. They're weird, aren't they? And there wasn't any television in the 1930s, so people would pay a lot of money uh, just to see different culture. That's Different culture. Fuck. That's... Sad and real, so I'm gonna stick with the Rockettes thing. That's that's how it's going down. <laughs> Do you th- Ladies and gentlemen, the Kongettes. <laughs> Kick lines. He's still just strapped to the wall. It was actually the prequel for um, Planet of the Apes, the musical. I hate every ape I see Chimpan- from Japan A to Japan C. <laughs> This is how, this is what happened. This is how it started. All right. Do we have other topics we want to talk about? <laughs> like serious stuff we want to engage with about the film or? Okay. Um, we had a conundrum, Sophie, and I was interested in your opinion on it. So in the movie, we don't know. We didn't know if uh, the tribe was speaking a real language or a made up language. And we couldn't figure out which one of those would be worse. Yeah. Your like, thoughts. Would, would making it a real culture that exists be worse than making up a fictional one? 
That is a good question. Um, I assumed that the language was fake. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess if they gave them a real language, it would at least show the diligence to do some sort of research uh, to see, oh, here's the language that an actual South Pacific culture might speak. Let's give it to the villagers. Um I feel like that probably would be a little better uh, than what we got, which is just uh, we have some gi- gibberish to them. It'll be fine. No one will tell the difference. Yeah, I wondered if it was like a a conlang because there did seem we watch. I don't know if you watch with subtitles, but we watch with subtitles, and I oh was, yeah, subtitles. Yeah, and I was life. watching, it and like it seemed to have like a a grammatic structure to it. Like, just based on trying to piece it together, based on the three words that they gave us in English, that, like, so, it's not quite gibberish, and does that make it better? Like, would a conlang and gibberish be ethically the same, even if one's more effort? Uh, hmm, no, I I feel like conlang, um, at least... Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of racial politics there of who yeah. who gets to come up with this conlang, who gets to depict cultures like yeah. this in this particular way. It's more like um, a conlang. But <laughs> conlang. <laughs> um, but it didn't really seem that grammatically consistent okay. to me uh, as a language. Uh, there were definitely times where they would say like one word, yeah. and that would be a stand-in for. A lot of yeah. words. So it just seemed a little bit That's lazy fair. to me. In the same way that most, like, 30s films are about that kind of thing. So I should have gotten Jay on this. Jay. Yeah, exactly. The linguist. <laughs> if I'd known. <laughs> if I'd known. Okay, so. We should send a uh, DM to that guy from Wired. Um, who, uh, the, the accent expert. Huh. You know his name? Like, yeah. Eric. Uh, something. Yeah. Have him give his take. King, King uh, Kong, nineteen thirty-three. We're in, we're reinvigorating some discourse into this corpse. <laughs> give us give us a shot of electricity. <laughs> Did you hear about the King Kong discourse? Is there a new movie? No, the original one. You ever seen the uh, You ever seen the Jessica Lang King Kong? Like the seventies one. No. I have not. That one is by far the most sexual chemistry one of the oh goodness. like there's a weird scene where like king kong is like jessica lang is Anne and she's like soaking wet and king kong like just below dries her with his mouth <laughs> uh. and she like she like does a face <laughs> and it's it's a weird movie charles groden's in it though i love charles groden we're going to have to cover it at some point. Well, you know, I That's... I personally like when a guy makes me real <laughs> That's very sexy. Ben Shapiro's wife be like. <laughs> <laughs> ben Shapiro's washing his That's how it should be. Yes. Yes. That's how it works. <laughs> Women get wet when they are just kind of like doing their own thing, just hanging out. And then when a big, strong man like me comes in, they dry up. No liquid. <laughs> They go. No and more. on that note, <laughs> on that note, I think it's time to wrap the episode up. <laughs> Sophie, do you have anything you want to promote or plug to our dozens of listeners? Number 17 in the Philippines. Woo. What? All right. Um, follow me on Twitter, I guess, at Sophie Casarico. Um, sometimes I share my writing on my tweets um i don't know uh look out for me that sounds menacing okay. look yeah, out for awesome. me she's coming run she's coming <laughs> you hear that knock on the door better run <laughs> yeah sophie is a very talented writer everyone uh her piece uh your hot dog piece where can they find that online Oh, yeah, it's called uh, Red Hots. Um, it is a short story that I submitted for the Australian Writing Writers Center's uh, Furious Fiction Contest in October of last year. So you can find it on their website. 
Um, I think it's it pretty is. decent. Okay. But yeah, so uh, Bran, let's plug the. Uh, you can follow us at King of the Casters. Or no, it's Podzilla KOTC on the Twitter. And, and King of the Casters at gmail.com. If yes. you want to send in suggestions or questions. This Remember when questions. we used to do listener questions? Remember when people sent us stuff in? When it was just like our English teacher <laughs> and the person who wrote our theme song? Yeah. <laughs> bustle in times. Yeah. That was the bustle in times. <laughs> We're living in the graveyard right now. But um, yeah, yeah send us questions. Technically, we have a TikTok. We have never posted anything to it. <laughs> if you can find it and give it a thumb. <laughs> you win the factory, Charlie. You win the factory. <laughs> We'll give the whole thing over if you could just find it. Please, we need this to end. Find it now. <laughs> the fact, the end. guys, we're running out of Godzilla it's a, it's movies. A cabinet of, it's a cabinet of Dr. Caligari type yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the estate tax is too goddamn high. We gotta get rid of it. All right. So, so yeah. So yeah. thank you so much, Sophie, for coming on. And uh, yeah, follow. Thanks for having me. See you next time when we'll be reviewing Invasion of the Astro Monster. Yeah, Invasion of the Astro Monster. So we'll see you then. Yeah, see you next time, baby.